Well, how good to be together on a dreary morning to sing his praises. It's good to be here. Now, Friday night, my sister and husband were in town, and we decided we're going to take him with us for the first time to APT out right in in Spring Green for uh, the Shakespeare play, Much Ado About Nothing. And and so Glenn and I, we we were thinking, you know, we're going to do it right. So we're going to take care of our wives here. We're going to do a, a good time, big time picnic, you know, special. So we had the shrimp, right? And we had the dip, and we had the guacamole from scratch. I know you're impressed. Guacamole from scratch with the chips. We had the grapes. We had the crackers. We're feeling really good. Some deluxe, not, just not anything. We didn't use Wonder Bread. We had the whole wheat rolls, and we had the honey mustard and the pickles and the fresh garden tomatoes on that roast beef or turkey sandwich choice that they want. And we're feeling really good about ourselves. We find the picnic table. We're there early and spread out the tablecloth. And we got the, the sparkling Welch's grape juice out. And it's all good, right? And, and then this lady comes up. And, and all of a sudden, I notice there's a, there's a barbecue next to us. And I'm thinking, whoa, dog, this lady brought a barbecue out to American Players Theater. And I'm thinking, I bet you this is her table. I said, excuse me, are we at your spot? She says, oh, no. I said, you didn't bring that here, did you? She said, no, they're all over here. And sure enough, you look around, and there's barbecues all over the place. Next thing I know, she's got a white package. Guys, you know what a white package is? You get that thing from the butcher shop. And she starts unwrapping this white, and it wasn't patties. She had some fillets that were this big wrapped in bacon. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, I hope our wives don't see it. Well, not only did they see it, they smelled it, and then there were the skewers of mushrooms. Well, anyways, we had a great time. I think there were some 30 of us there. And next time, Glenn and I know what to do. We're bringing, we're bringing the steaks. All right. Now, you've heard this phrase. Behind every great man is a what? Oh, yeah, that's how I heard it first. But then I heard it even better than that. Not only is behind every great man a great woman, but a surprised mother-in-law. <laughs> now think about this one. Behind every great leader is a what? Faithful servant. And we meet such a man His name is Tychicus. I I realize some of the staff members this week gave him a nickname. His name is Tick. And and Tick's this faithful servant. We read about Tychicus five times in the New Testament. Each time he's an associate, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. We meet him in Acts chapter 20. He's traveling to Jerusalem with Paul, taking that relief offering to the people who've been dealing with the famine back in Jerusalem. In Colossians chapter 4, we read that he's the guy that returns the runaway slave Onesimus to his owner Philemon. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, at the very end of Paul's life, we, we find out that Tychicus, he's still there standing at his side, serving his buddy Paul. But we meet him here at the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so I invite you to take your Bible, turn there to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to finish out the book and put a bow on it as we look back over what God's been teaching us these last months in His Word. If you're using that Bible in the rack in front of you, you'll find it on page 830. Here's what he says in verse 21. He says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. 
I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that, we, that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So we have this beautiful description of Tychicus. He, he's, he calls him his, his dear brother. In the original language, is, is beloved. He, he's a much-loved brother. He's a faithful servant in the Lord, and he's an encourager. Great things to be said of us as God's people, as followers of Christ. Beloved, faithful, and encourager. Now, as we work through the book as in its entirety today, kind of reflecting back on all the things we've learned. But before we leave this guy, Tychicus, I, I think there's a few key lessons to learn from Paul and Tychicus, especially important as we begin another year of ministry. And, and the first lesson is this. Don't serve alone. Paul, the super apostle, couldn't get it done by himself. His pattern was throughout his life in ministry, just like the pattern of our Savior, Jesus. He worked with a team. Don't serve alone. You can't get it done alone. You'll do it better together. And always remember that in ministry. The second thing is, give your hearts, your heart to others. You know, when we love much, we are loved much. Here's what I know about your love for Brad Smith, that he loved you much. And that's why your hearts have been endeared to him. And the reality is in ministry, in ministry, things are hard. You get hurt. You engage your heart in other people's lives. And all of a sudden you find out that they step on it. And you go, man, I don't think I want to do that. At the end of Paul's life, he's still engaging his heart in ministry for the sake of others. Third thing we learn here is keep your eyes on Christ. What does it mean to be a faithful servant? It means to be a faithful servant who constantly remembers that first and foremost, I'm serving Christ. I serve an audience of one. And finally he says, people need encouragement. Paul knew that. That's why he's sending Tychicus. People need encouragement. And great leaders know that. And they know how to do it with their words and with their actions. And that's exactly why he says, Tychicus, I want you to go now with this letter to my friends. And, and we believe that this letter wasn't just like one-stop destination in Ephesus. In fact, those words in Ephesus in chapter 1 aren't in the original manuscripts. It probably was a circular letter. And he says, bring this back, Tychicus, to all the people that I'm sending this to that you might encourage them. Not only let them know how I'm doing, not only let them know what I'm doing, I'm doing fine. I'm standing tall for the gospel, wanting boldly to proclaim it, but I want you to go that you might encourage them. And the question is, what do they need encouragement for? Well, what they need encouragement for was to stay to the mission that God had given them, that he's writing about. What he's writing about is found back in chapter 4, verse 1. Turn back in your Bibles. And if you haven't underlined this and wrote on, on the margin here, purpose of the book, you ought to do that. That's, that's the purpose of why he's written this book. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you 
to live. It's the word walk. To live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He wants to encourage them to live out their new identity in Christ that they might further the mission and work of Christ. That's why he's sending him. And when their identity is rooted in Christ, they're positioned to further the mission of Christ. And what is the mission of Christ? Well, turn back to chapter 1, verse 10. The second half of that verse gives us the mission of God and it helps us understand what we're to be about. And I said then, and I'll say it again, verse 10 of chapter 1 is the best one-verse summary of the whole Bible. You want to know the cliff note verse on the Bible? This is it. What is God about? He's about, he's about bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Here's what we know from God's word. That ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God, that things have started moving away from each other. They started drifting away. There was separation between their relationship with God and themselves. There was separation in their relationship with themselves as husband and wives. And now in Christ, God is bringing all things back to where it's supposed to be, under the rule of Christ, God's only son, who laid down his life for us. And he says, I want you to know what your identity is in Christ and encourage them to remember their identity in Christ so that they might further the work of Christ and the work and mission of Christ is to bring things back together. And every day that we open up our Yahoo account or wherever you get your internet and you see the daily headlines, you go, yeah, things are messed up here. They're messed up in our homes. They're messed up in our communities. They're messed up in our country. They're messed up between nations and between people groups. It's all around us. But God says, I'm bringing things back together. And Paul says, Tychicus, go encourage them so they'd live that kind of a life that furthers the mission of Christ, that brings people back to where we were created to be. That life lived in a manner worthy is the idea of a scale. Remember that word worthy? It means that our, that our life would measure up, that our living would come into the same proportion as our calling. He says, that's what I want for you. That's what I'm encouraging you to do, to live your lives in such a way that you might walk in a manner worthy of your calling as a follower of Christ. And so chapters one through three, it's all about our identity in Christ who we are in Christ. And chapters four through six, all about the mission of Christ. And it's all centered in the cross. And that's the theme of this book. And that's how this book breaks out as we kind of go back and remember it again. And he says, hey, in this book, if you're gonna walk in a manner worthy, if your life's gonna measure up for God, then you gotta remember who you are. You got to remember your identity and you got to remember how to live out that identity in all of life. And and this book answers two fundamental questions that everybody wrestles with. And it may be a very question that you're wrestling with today. The question of identity. Who am I? Where do I find my significance? The second question is, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Where do I find the sense of meaning and purpose? And the book of Ephesians, along with so much more of God's word, just comes right after those questions. And Paul says in this letter, 
This is who you are. This is where you defined your significance and your, and your identity, in Christ. And this is where you define your purpose and meaning in life. It's to follow and pursue with God the mission of Christ. And so we go back over those opening chapters and we remember our, our identity. And one of the things that the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians is who we were and who we are before we have a relationship with Christ. And it tells us about that in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here's what we learned about what God says about who we are. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that ruler? He's the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. God says, well, let me tell you about your identity before you had this relationship with my son and through him with me. You were dead. You were dead men. You were dead women. You were dead students. You were dead children walking. You were following not me, but the cravings of your own sinful heart. You weren't following me. You were following the enemy. And you had committed treason, and you were under my wrath. You were under my righteous anger and judgment. The sentence for treason in my kingdom is death. That's who you are. That's who you were before you had a relationship with Christ. But then in chapter 2, he says, but because of God's great love and mercy, he's made us alive. And we get down to chapter 2, verse 10, and we read this very thing, that we are his workmanship. That's the word for masterpiece. Created, a new creation in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in those good works. And we say, how did that happen? How does something go from dead to alive? How does something go from following the cravings of your own sinful heart to following God with all of your heart? How does it go from being a person who's under God's wrath to being a person who brings God pleasure? And the short answer in the Bible is this, by grace, by grace. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. This is exactly what God's word teaches throughout, and we found it right here in Ephesians, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, your faith and your salvation, is not from yourselves. You didn't muster it up. It was a gift of God. It's not by works that you save yourself, because if it was, you would boast. But it's not by works, he says, so that no one can boast and that God gets the glory. That's what he tells us about how we come into this new relationship and new identity. It's a gift from God that is given to us by a gracious God. And he says in chapter 1, if you found your identity in Christ, then you have it all in Christ. Remember the explosion in chapter 1, verse 3? Look at it. Praise be to the God and Father who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then what do we read? He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us. He, he chose us before we ever existed, 
not on the basis of what we have done or would do, but on the basis of his grace and love and mercy. That's who we are in Christ. Not only are we chosen and chosen beforehand, but we're loved. We're adopted into his family. Not only are we adopted, but he's bought our freedom through the payment of the price of his son's life. We've been redeemed and we've been forgiven. The junk of our life, the weight of that sin and that guilt has been taken off. We're free, forgiven, heirs, secure and firm, an inheritance through Christ. What else do we have? We have so much more. We're marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, and we've been made alive. We're his masterpieces. That's who we are. And he says, take a kiss, bring this letter, encourage them to remember who they are in Christ and what they have so that they don't become like Bertha Adams. Remember Bertha? Remember that story about Bertha Adams? 1971, West Palm Beach, Florida. She dies of malnutrition, weighing just 50 pounds. She lived like a homeless person, though she had a home which had turned into a pigsty. Her neighbor said she'd go door to door begging for food. She died of malnutrition, and they found the keys to her safe deposit box. And remember what they found? Over a million dollars. That was hers. She forgot what she had. She wasn't living in light of the reality of what she had. Paul says, you've got it all. Take a kiss. Don't let him forget it. Remind him that in Christ, we have it all. How does that happen? How does it happen that God's grace would change us from being dead to being alive like God has done to our lawns in the last 10 days, right? I mean, was that lawn looking dead about 10 days ago and now it's looking like April showers, isn't it? It's unbelievable. How does that happen that someone comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ and God through his son? It happens by grace through faith. So look back at chapter one and we remember how it happened for them and how it happens for us, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ. This is the language of this new relationship in Christ, this new identity in Christ, this intimate relationship with Christ. You were included when? When what? When you heard. Heard what? The word of truth. What truth? The good news of your salvation. Well, what is the good news? That Jesus Christ did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died on the cross as a perfect man to be the perfect substitute for your sin and mine that we might have peace with God. That's the good news. And when you heard it, you believed it. And when you believed it, what happened? Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Well, what is that seal? It's the Holy Spirit. What is that seal? It's the seal that I saw at Cambridge Pottery this weekend that the potter puts into the pot that says, this belongs to the house of Cambridge Pottery. And he says, when you heard it and believed it, you were marked with a seal, and that seal was, you belong to me. And that's why Romans 8 says that in our own hearts, the Spirit testifies to us that we belong to him, and that's why we call him Father. You've been marked with a seal. And that seal is not only a mark of ownership, but it's a mark of protection. And he says in chapter 4, verse 30, that we've been sealed by the Spirit until the day of our future salvation, our day of our future redemption. Protected until then. He's that down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. What inheritance? Heaven. And we get a little taste of it. We know a little bit of what it means right now to have a relationship with God and with Christ, his son, through the spirit living within us. 
and one day we'll experience it in its fullness. That's how it happened, through faith. And so the question for us this morning is, have we, have we lost our ID? You ever lose your ID? Have you lost your identity? And for us that say, you know, I'm here at Door Creek, and I don't know what you're talking about, a relationship with God, because I know I don't have that. But I know I'm trying to figure out life, and I'm trying to figure out who I am, and I'm interested in who this God is. Well, learn from what happened to the people back in Ephesus. It was hearing the word that brought them to a place of believing the word. And it was their belief in the word of God, the truth that completely changed their life. And so my advice to you is keep yourself near God's word. Get in a men's study, men. Get in a women's study, women. Get in a home group where you're studying God's word. Stay near to God's word because here's what God's word says in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing God's word. And that's how it was for many of us. We were hearing it. We were hearing it. And then all of a sudden one day we said, I get it. I get it. I believe it. And our life changed from the inside out. Have you lost your identity? Hey, look, there isn't one of us that isn't dealing with some kind of insecurity. There isn't one of us here. I don't care how successful you are. Let the lesson be that our identity and anything other than Christ will always leave us with huge insecurities. And may the gaps of our security always drive us back to that which can only make us secure. And it's in Christ. And it's in what he has done and who he is, not in who I am and what I've done, what I've accomplished, what I've amassed, what I've produced. It's in him. And may you find yourself secure. May you find yourself going, that's who I am. Don't let anybody else define who you are. Don't let the the things that can never satisfy you define who you are. Let Christ be your rock, your identity. And he says, Tychicus, go encourage them to live this life worthy of the calling that they've received, not only remembering who they are in Christ, but remembering what it means then to be a Christ follower in all of life. And remember how it goes from chapter four to chapter six, he just starts walking it out. And he walks it out in our relationships in the church. And he walks it out in our relationships at home, the marriage relationship, the, the parent-child relationship. It, it moves into the workspace. And we, we're called to walk it out there at work. And we're to walk it out in this world. And we're to walk it out to the very battlefield. And, and he's teaching us that, look, all of life is to be lived towards the mission of God and for the glory of God. Our marriage is about the mission of God. Our church is to be about the mission of God. That's changing lives to change the world. We're not here to be happy, clappy, comfortable Christians that don't give a rip about anybody who's not here. We are here to bring all things together under Christ. That's why we exist. And our marriage is all about that mission. It's all about God's mission. Our family, it's all about God's mission. My job, it's all about God's mission. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I can be doing the mission of God. And so as we think about this, we remember how 
we have this progression. Remember how it goes? We're walking in chapter 4, we're standing in chapter 6, and then we're kneeling. Remember that progression? It's a beautiful progression. Every time you read the word live in your NIV translation, remember it's the word walk. Literally, it's the word walk. Walking about in a manner worthy of the calling. We just saw how we used to walk before Christ. We used to walk according to our own sinful heart's desires. But now he says, walk in a manner worthy. And then he just starts saying, and here's how you do it. Walk out in unity. And he starts with the relationships in the church, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. He says, look, this isn't a unity you need to create. This is a unity you have, a sevenfold unity that you have, and a unity that you're to guard and protect with all that you have. It is so important here, Door Creek, that we're a church that's united. So important. Because how in the world will the mission of Christ go forward to Madison if people hear this about Door Creek? Yeah, I hear that's a church that, man, they're always fighting. I hear they're ready to split again. No way. Our unity is radically connected to the mission of God because Jesus says that very thing in chapter 17 of John's gospel. Father, I pray that they may be one just as you and I are one so that the world will believe. What? That you sent me into this world to die for sinners, that they'll believe the good news. Our unity is something that we vigilantly protect and preserve. We're to walk out not only in unity, he says we're to walk out our lives in integrity. Cal preached on chapter 5 and he reminded us it's a life of integrity. It's a life of impurity, of purity. We're not walking in the ways of this world, but we're walking in the light. He goes on to say further in chapter 5 that we're to walk in wisdom. And and then at the end of chapter 5, verse 18, that we're to walk in the spirit, in the fullness of the spirit. And what does a spiritual person look like? Paul reminded us. Here's what it looks like to be spiritual. Someone whose life is full of joy singing praises to God from their hearts and singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. That characterizes a spiritual person. What else? Gratitude, thankfulness. What else? Submission to one another, laying down our lives to each other. And then he starts walking out that laying down our lives in the relationships that we have in, in our homes. First of all, he talks to the husband and the wife. And he says, guys, don't forget your marriage is part of the mission of God. And here's how you further the mission. You remember that your marriage is a parable. It is a mirror to a watching world. And when they see you, they're supposed to see Jesus. How do they see Jesus in you? That your loving leadership constantly is doing what Jesus did. Giving himself up for the church. You giving yourself up for your wife. That's what it means to be a godly husband. To lead in love as a servant leader. And wives, don't forget that as we reflect this greater relationship of Christ in the church, your job is to reflect the follower of Christ who, like Christ, submitted his will to the Father like a follower of Christ, submitting our entire lives to his leadership. And you willingly and joyfully yield to your husband's leadership in your life, showing him respect, love and respect to further the mission of God. And he walks it out in chapter 6 in those opening four verses. He says, all right, now it's about our families. And kids, you're part of the mission of God. You're part of the mission of God as you honor your parents, doing it as unto God himself. And parents, as you raise your kids, not to be successful in this life, but to love God in this life with all of their hearts. So don't exasperate them. Don't make it your goal to give them a great education so they can make a lot of money. Make it your goal that they'd be a lover of Christ. Bring them up in the nurture and training of the Lord. 
And he says, you walk this thing right out into the workplace, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So that no matter what relationship you have at work with a partner, a co-equal, with someone who's above you, with someone who reports to you, that you understand fundamentally that what you're doing in that place is serving Christ and furthering the purposes of Christ. And so he keeps talking about walking it out, walking it out, walking it out. And then chapter 6, verse 10, boom, he says, stand firm. Stand firm, because if you follow the mission of God, you better expect the enemy's going to take notice, and he's going to come after you, and he's going to try and knock you off your feet to get you out of the mission of Christ, because he doesn't want all things to come back together. He wants everything to follow him who's been moving away from God from the day he rebelled against God and said, I want to be like God. And so he says, stand strong. How do we stand strong? By being strengthened by Christ and by his mighty power. How do we stand strong? By putting on all of his body armor, every piece of it, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet that are fitted in the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. He says, you better take all of that on and then if you hope to stand in this day of battle, you better fall on your knees. That was last week, remember? If we're gonna stand, we gotta fall on our knees. Praying in the Spirit at all times and all occasions for all, with all kinds of prayers for all the saints. Praying for Paul and for God's people to continue to further the mission of God with boldness. Asking God to give us the words and the courage to share the mysteries of the gospel that Christ died for everyone. And so he says, Tychicus, before I sign off this letter, I want to give him one final blessing that'll encourage them to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of God. Look at what he says as he signs off. Verse 23. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That's just what they needed. Just what you and I need. As we seek to say, God, I do find my identity in you and I do want to pursue the mission of your son in this place. That what we need is peace. That's not an absence of conflict. And boy, there's a lot of it in our life. And we'd love to get rid of it all. No, but that in the midst of the storms and conflicts and battles of life, that we'd know deep in our soul what the Bible calls a peace that passes human understanding. Peace. He says, let me, let me just bless you with God's peace. Do you have that peace? He says, let, let me bless you with love and faith from God. I want you to know every moment that you breathe that God loves you, that he delights in you, that there's nothing you could do that would cause him to love you more, and that there's nothing you've done that would cause God to love you less that that would cheer your heart and that that faith would strengthen you as you find yourself giving in to some of the temptations of the enemy, falling yet again. God, help me to believe that you are good, that your word is true, that your word is a good word, and I can count on your promises. They are going to come true and that your commands are actually those promises in disguise. I believe in your goodness. He says, I I pray God's love and faith to just wrap their arms around you. And I pray for his grace to just wash over you 
That, that grace that gets us up off of our feet when we've wiped out yet again. And God says, you know what? I love you. I love you. Get off your feet. Get off your feet. That grace that keeps us on our feet where all of a sudden we go, hey, you know what? I've been given into that temptation. I've been a man who's always been angry. And you know what? Normally I would have been angry here. But God in his grace has kept me from anger. Praise God for his grace. I pray grace, God's grace on you. And so as we leave this letter, may we not leave the lessons behind that we've been given a new identity in Christ, that we might live out that identity to bless this world as they meet our Savior, Jesus Christ, in and through us. And may we be a people with arms locked who know his peace, who have his love and faith and offer his grace, blessing all those he's placed in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we, we bless you for this word. It isn't a word that was written to us, but it's a word that was written for us. And we take it as your good word for us. And we learn so much about who you are and who we are and who we were and who we're becoming and what you want for us. And we would pray that in the busyness of life, we wouldn't lose our way. In the insecurities of our day, that we would realize that any other pursuit to find security is a movement away from your mission and that we'd be lockstep with your purposes in this world, amazed not only what you've done in us and are doing through in, in us, but what you're doing through us. And may this church and the people of this church make this city glad that we're here. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.